so again, I just want to show a couple of pictures that I'll kind of uh, do. Oh, and can I share my screen, please? If that's possible. Uh, you should be able to when you hit share screen. What does it do? Um, desktop. Let me see. Allows him. Oh, okay. Uh, the permissions are set, so it should work. Hopefully. Yeah, uh, it's not. Um, so, uh, you know what? I'll figure this out tomorrow. I'll show. So, I have some pictures of me looking big, okay? So, I was a uh, 1X. Um, my top weight was probably 200, 205, but it was like, you know, I wasn't going to weigh myself anymore. Um, I was a normal size kid. I was very hyperactive. I love sugar. Um, I'm an adult child of two alcoholic parents. Um, I'm a trauma survivor and OA was not my first, uh, recovery program. I actually got into ACOA, uh, in 1993. I was 23 years old and OA was actually my fourth, uh, program. And I didn't even know what it was. Um, I was talking to someone else in another program and the subject came up around that I only go shopping once a year and and she kept asking me why and I was like why what do you care and and then she got out of me that I didn't like to go clothes shopping and then she got out of me that it's like well I didn't like to look at myself in the mirror and she said oh I think you might like this program well like I said at this point I was in three other pro I was like I didn't even care anymore I was like fine you know what I mean and uh, and so I went to my first OA meeting. Um, I'm not exactly sure of the exact date, but I do know that it was like fall of 1998. And, um, and that was the only meeting that um, when I went into there, I cried the first day that I was there. Because, and I need you to know, like, I'm not a crier. I don't cry. I mean, I do now, but it take, it's taken a lot of therapy. I was very, like, hard-edged. Um, just very emotionally dissociated and disconnected. And so for me to have that kind of an impact was a big deal. And my tears were twofold. On the one hand, there was this power of identification. I had no idea that other women, and it was at that time, there were only women in the meeting. Um, I had no idea that other women felt the way that I felt Number one about food and number two about their bodies. I just, I was, had no idea. So on the one hand, there was just this powerful identification. On the other hand, I felt like I was busted. Like that this secret weapon that I had, which was my food, you know, because I was a type A alpha female, I was kicking ass and taking names, but I had my food. And so I could deal with anything as long as I had my food. And, um, and I like to say, because it's based on a true story, that food got me out of bed in the morning. You know, that I would wake up and just feel the weight of the day. And then I would think about breakfast. And boom, like, I would be like, okay, you know. And so that was my relationship to food. So, um... So again, and then the other analogy that I use all the time is, is that it was like 
Linus, for those of us who know the Charles Schultz Peanuts character, it was like Linus with his blankie. And if you're familiar with the characters, you know, it's all these little kids who are in like first grade. And when, and Linus is apparently like a year younger in kindergarten or whatever. But the point is, is that Linus with his blankie, so he's this little character that goes around spouting all this wisdom, but he's got a blankie. You know what I mean? And when he's in first grade, it's totally fine. But imagine Linus at 28 with a blankie and someone says, and he's like an executive and he's looking all badass, but he's got this blankie and finally someone says, hey Linus, let's talk about that blankie. You know what I mean? It was, for me, I was just like, let's not. Um, so, but I was smart enough to know that, um, that I, I had believed in recovery enough at that point that I just kept going to meetings. So even though I was terrified and I didn't want to do this. I knew that I did wanted to do it. And so I just kept going to meetings. My story involves two major relapses. And again, I'm going to kind of share that a little bit more um, throughout the weekend. But um, I did come in. I had some pink cloud abstinence. And I think I dropped like maybe 15, 20 pounds right away because um, I knew how to diet. And then... Um, so that took me down to a sort of a, just a large size. But then for me, and I want people to know this, that I worked the program very diligently and I only lost 10 pounds every two years. And so my story around that is, is that um, I was a normal sized kid until puberty hit. I was a tomboy and, um, and when puberty hit and all of a sudden the game changed to, you know, boy, girl, sexy, you know, who are you going with, kissing. I was so not prepared. I was absolutely not prepared for that. And, and so my solution to that was to desexualize my body. And I think that many of us, you know, male or female, sort of react to the sexualizing of our bodies in various ways. And for some of us, you know, it's the control anorexia, take all the curves out of your body. For some of us, it's like, let's get a little bit bigger. And these, basically we think of all these. And then for my experience with bulimia, it's like, well, I, I, I'm going to react emotionally and then I'm going to freak out about getting fat and I'm going to get rid of it. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, but so my story was a normal kid, puberty hit. I'm like, I'm so not prepared for this. And so I gain weight as a way to desexualize my body and also because my dad was an angry alcoholic um, we were middle class and so it had this really weird like Stepford wife feel to it like on the one hand he was seething with this violence and on the other hand you know it was like very Martha Stewart and so um, and he weighed 185 and so I noticed that I always sort of felt better when I weighed 185. Now, obviously, I got up to 200, 205, but, but I could never get lower than 185, no matter how hard I tried. And so in doing my history, I know that that had a lot to do with me feeling as a woman that I could be safe in the world because my dad one time did charge at me and it was like, oh, okay, if I weigh 185, I've got a chance. You know what I mean? And then also just going, and then also having been 
a survivor of perpetration, I just felt like I needed to protect myself and be able to walk around the planet in a bigger body. So that's where, for me, gaining weight and wearing my disease as a compulsive overeater in that way was the beginning of my story. Um, when I came in, I, I worked the steps, I did everything. I was a good little 12-stepper. 12-step has really saved my life. I have an amazing life today. And so I am um, someone who would s gladly sign up to be a poster child for 12-step because as a child of adult child of alcoholism um, this disease has taken away everything it could possibly take away and everything that it has taken away 12-step recovery has supplied in abundance so i actually don't have to live without today because of my connection to 12-step fellowships and 12-step recovery um so anyway uh i um so I was doing, and I do want to, so I really want to focus on the topic of shame. So one of the great things about, you know, doing the 12-step work is, you know, working, first of all, sitting in the room and hearing other people say things that you can't believe they're saying that out loud in a public space. You know what I mean? And yet you're identifying with it. So in that sense, that also kind of alleviated a lot of my feelings of shame. That definitely took a layer. But of course, we're only as sick as our secrets. So there were a lot of things that I was just absolutely not gonna say at group level. And that's where working with a sponsor one-on-one -on -one was very helpful because that's where then I could talk about things that I had done um, that I thought for sure, you know, this is the worst thing ever. And, and I would have a sponsor who didn't, it's not that she said, oh, I did that too, because, you know, there are those of us who, and, and this is just a hard truth, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, people who have committed a crime, right? It's like, there are people who have committed a crime and it's like, oh, they they did a speeding ticket or they, they stole a pair of shoes. And then there are people who've robbed banks. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, so I didn't necessarily, it's not that like, cause I would sometimes have sponsors where I'm describing like robbing a bank and she's talking about how she borrowed her sister's shoes and never returned them. Like that was her big thing. And then, and then the other thing is, is that, you know, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area and I was in San Francisco in the 90s. So basically I was acting out in a city of sin. I have a lot of things on my four-step, you know what I mean, around harms done and acting out and all the different ways that I could have acted out. So... So that's why I just want to say, like, it's not that someone did necessarily the same thing that I did. The thing that really did a lot of healing for me is that when I told this person who I really was, you know what I mean, and she still loved me, that is where I experienced a lot of healing. Now, I know that for a lot of us, we're in therapy, right? We're like, well, I tell my therapist that. I'm like, yeah, but I am paying my therapist. I'm paying her to look at me and not judge me. You know what I mean? Versus a sponsor or people in the rooms, I'm not paying them. You know what I mean? And so when I 
would do my fourth step or do my fifth step and reveal things and this person still loved me, that was profoundly healing for a lot of my shame. So I do want to say that going through the steps absolutely took layers and layers of shame away. Um, specifically, I just want to dilate on that po point for just a little bit more, which is that um, I know that I'm not the only one who, you know, before recovery or before really deep recovery, if someone said that they loved me, I thought, well, that's because you don't really know me. And if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. What you love is who you think I am. And so my job is to make sure that I keep you thinking I am the person that you think I am. It's kind of like that joke where the person says, God, you know, please help me be the person my dog thinks that I am. You know what I mean? It's like, so that creates a lot of impression management. If, you know, like I am constantly managing your impression of me. And so what keeps that happening is my sense of shame that I can't really show you who I am. Because if you really knew me, then you wouldn't love me. So that's, that's how imprisoning shame can be. Because I have people telling me that they love me and I won't take it in because I don't think they really do. Because I'm not showing them who I really am. And the reason why I'm not is because I have a deep core belief that if I showed you who I really was, you would reject me. Now I want to get a little bit into why you're going to reject me. So this gets a little bit into the shame piece. So I've heard a lot of definitions of shame. I'm a big nerd. I read all the time. And the one that I think is best, is the easiest to understand is shame equals less than, period. Like if you want to just like break it down, it's like shame is the feeling that I am less than. And then I have a little analogy to help with that. So I want you to imagine just a little store, you know, a little boutique store. And in that store, and this is absolutely, this, we all have this, if you've walked into a store, we've all had this experience. At the front of the store where the window display are, are the best merchandise. That is the best quality merchandise that they have because they want to draw you in to the store. So all of the items that are in the window are the items that are the most perfect. And so you come in, you see them in the display and you're like, oh wow, let's go in here. You know, and so you go in there and then, you know, in the middle of the store are where you can find all those items. And a lot of times they're not the most perfect, but they're pretty close. Now, what do you find in the back of the store? You find the defective, the broken, the items that are worth less than the items that are actually being sold in the store. So we're a very elitist um, uh, culture that's got a lot of lookism, which is, you know, basically the better you look according to this very narrow standard, you're gonna be at the front of the store. So very quickly in school, we learn 
who gets to be in the display, you know, who's winning at the ego game. And then there's everyone in the middle who's just like, well, you know, we're maybe not on display, but, you know, we just get to be. And then there are those of us who feel like, you know, we're in the back and we're in the clearance cell. And we're just hoping someone buys us. You know what I mean? Like, we're just like, and that's shame. That is shame right there. Now, what's interesting is, is that wanting to be in the front of the store is also shame because you're so afraid to be one among many. You're so afraid that if you're just equal, that actually people will think less of you, that you need to be at the front. And so for me, I come from a family of arrogance. And so that's why if you ever meet anyone who's really arrogant, I promise you that's a person who's very much riddled with shame. They're just completely disconnected. Because again, they have to, and I had to think I was better than other people. Because if I felt that we were the same, all of a sudden I would feel insecure. And I feel unsure about myself and I hated that feeling. So my brain would just immediately set up how I was better than other people because deep down I felt that I was less than and that took a lot of recovery. Am I making sense? Have I lost you with that? I am making sense. Okay. So, so anyway, so 12 step, what 12 step did for me is by being in the rooms and going to thousands and thousands of meetings. Like there were times in my, and I'll talk about this when I talk about relapse and recovery from relapse, where not only I was going to like at least a meeting a day, at least, because I was going through one of the hardest times in my life. You know what I mean? So I have sat in meetings upon meetings upon meetings. And what that did slowly over time is it made it so that it was like, I could just be in the middle. I didn't have to be better than, and I didn't have to think I was less than. I could just be one among many. And I could realize that everyone has their bag of gifts and everyone has their bag of shit. You know what I mean? And everyone gets, now what's in my bag and what's in your bag may be a little bit different. You know, we can call them character assets or character defects or whatever you want, but we all have strengths and we all have things that were just like, I wish this wasn't true about me. And so that's what meeting started to do. And then the more that I did um, fifth steps with sponsors or just with, or do many like 10 steps with people or my trudge buddy or whatever, everyone just started to get really normalized. Now, for some of us, that's enough. That's enough healing. That's enough healing from shame. Well, and then there are those of us that I include myself where, uh, and, and you don't have, this is definitely an opinion. You don't have to agree with this at all. But um, I call us heavy hitters. And, and it's mentioned in the big book around causes and conditions. And so I hit a place where the pro all the promises were coming true. And my life was getting better and better and better. And then what happened is, is that, you know, it came back again to the, to the sexuality is, is that someone that I liked, um, liked me. And it was kind of this last piece. Like I had the job, I had the friends, I had the apartment, I had everything. And then it was like, um, and I 
I've, you know, I'm a queer, I identify queer. My, I have had two loves in my life. One was a man, one was a woman. I, honestly, I just believe in being in love with someone. I'm not invested in what body you come in. It's just how I'm wired. But anyway, so in this particular instance, it was a man that I had a crush on and he flirted with me. He did something flirtatious back. And the next day I broke my abstinence. And when I did that, my sponsor said, wow, you're just not going to let yourself have it. And that has never left me. And the thing about that, you know, I need you to know is by that time I had, I, I actually can't remember, maybe 13 years. And, and it was a big deal when I broke my abstinence. It was not it was very, that I'll tell you more about that later, but it wasn't a small thing. It was terrifying. It was like someone giving you this, or if you had this beautiful, most beautiful object, whether it's a vase, whatever you want to imagine. And then one day I came home and grabbed a hammer and I just smashed it and I did it to myself. And that was the thing that I realized was that I was so powerless over this shame and um, circumstances led to the fact that that weekend I ended up at a convention and I spent the whole time at, a, at that convention for a different program and I met this woman and she started talking about shame and she started talking about it more directly and I went up to her and I said will you sponsor me and she only sponsored me for a month but um, because it turned out that I ended up having a lot more recovery than she did but um, she was acting out in these other ways that made me feel uncomfortable and so but what i got from her was some direction around these two they're recovery related books but because they're not oa approved i can't tell you what they are they're um, written by members of alcoholics anonymous there's a canon of books that in aa that um that are aa conference approved and then OA approves those. And then there are a lot of books in AA like that are written by members of Alcoholics Anonymous that are not conference approved. And so I can't tell you what they are, but I have my number. I'll give you my email address. So not in this context. If you would like to know, you can email me or whatever, or pretty much anyone I know, you know what I mean? And they will tell you what the name of the books are. But anyway, so I started doing this shame study and it's kind of like, and this is why I wanted to get to the heavy hitters and stuff like that. It's like, there are, you know what I mean? It's kind of like in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, you know, um, there are many, there are practitioners of many kinds that can help you. Like some of us, it, the big book says some of you will need more help than just 12 steps. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's in the book. And for me, when it came to shame, I needed more help than just going through the steps again. And so for me, it was kind of like going to see a specialist. And so I did the shame study and it worked. And then I took to women through the shame study and it worked for them. And then I started shame study groups 
and it's working for them. And now I'm the effing shame girl that people call and say, will you come and speak at our retreat? You know what I mean? So, um, and I'm like, and I always just say, sure, yeah, whatever. Um, so that's kind of like the background. So now I want to, I really, see what happened is, is that I got an update on my computer. So I had everything ready. Um, for you guys and then I got an update so let me just try one more time and see if it will share um, uh, if not I will um, let's see yes zoom please yeah allow oh well I okay I'm gonna have to no I'm not gonna do it I, I'd have to yeah Nicole, is it the shame inventory stuff? Yes. Because, okay, you could just email it to one of the hosts and they can share it. Can you do that? And if I do that, where are you? Or Julie, can I email? Anyway, I'm just going to verbally do it. I'm just going to verbally do it because what I can put in the chat is I can put, um, I can put a link to it. Okay, and then verbally I can I can do this. So, and then hopefully tonight I'll figure out. Um, okay, so let me send you guys the link. Okay, here we go. Okay. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Okay. If they make you a co-host, you may be able to share it. Well, no, I. that's not the issue. The issue is that right before the meeting started, um, Mac, I, you know, wanted to give me an update. So apparently it must have messed up with my, because I did all this testing right before to make sure this wouldn't happen. And of course, um, that'll teach me not to update right before a Zoom thing. So for people who can, so I'm going to just tell you what this is, and I'd like us to go through together. So if you're on the phone or if you can't see, don't worry, because I'm going to read it. For people who have um, access to their computer, um, it's the link in the chat window. So you, you go to the bottom of the screen where you have your little toolbar at the bottom. You hit chat, and then it'll pop up on the side, and then you can see... Um, where everyone's made them a little chat and then you can see I did this um, link. So I'm going to read it and then we are going to do one together. So a shame in before it. So there are 12 categories. Nicole, now, yep. I got when I hit when I hit that link, your entire Google Drive showed up. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, I, I thought you were just sending me inventory. Okay. Oh, you mean it didn't go just the specific one? Not on mine. Okay, hold on. Let me try again. Uh, okay. Let's see. Get link. I'm going to try this again, everyone. Copy link. So, uh, as long as you sent... So, that link to my Google Drive, I might as well tell you this now. So, all the stuff that I have accumulated over the years in recovery, I put in this G Drive. And I make it uh, public so that people can just go at it. A lot of times it's because 
I was getting tired of sending stuff to my sponsees and just not remembering where I put it. So I also have recordings in there. I have everything you, you, I have way more information than you want. Now the link I just sent you is the link to the shame inventory. And, um, and if you got to the first link, you would just have to scroll down and find, you know, shame inventory, but that link. So there are 12 categories. I'm going to read them for people. Uh, okay. Okay, so the first category, appearance and body image. I thought that's the one that we should do together, but let me go through. Second category, money and work. Um, third is motherhood, fatherhood. Let me dilate here for a second. This doesn't mean, like, this is not just for people who are mothers and fathers. So if, so for example, I don't have any kids, but I can take this category of motherhood and fatherhood and sort of when I get to the questions, either think about how I feel about myself or the judgment or shame that I may have around not being a mother, or I can use um, my relationship to my sponsees or to my niece where I'm being mothering and I could use that as an example. And this is what I was talking about in the beginning around not throwing anything away, but instead finding a way that you can relate to it. Um, the other is uh, family parenting. Again, with parenting, I uh, at one point was a dog owner. And so I know that how judgmental dog owners can be with each other. So that was an easy translation for me. But again, anything around these things that we get judged or judge ourselves by. So if parenting, you could, you could put in teaching, like if you were a teacher. Something where, you know, it's the idea that you are responsible for, you know, the development of these young people. And you can use that as, you know, something that you feel um, that you get judged or judge yourself by. Mental and physical health, addiction, sex, aging, religion, surviving trauma, being stereotyped or labeled. So, for example, that's an open one where it's like, you know, um, you could put, uh, you know, person of color or you could put um, anything where you feel that you get, like Christian, you could put Christian in there. Anything where you feel you get put into a box and then you get judged and compared to, that's what you can put in number 12. You know what I mean? Um, you could even put woman. Like, you know what I mean? Do you get what I'm saying? Is, is that in my... Okay. So now the first thing that you do is you write out... So let's do this together. Okay? Everyone ready? Everyone got... I'm seeing heads nodding. Um, we're going to do... Because this is OA, we're going to do appearance and body image. So... I want four to five for you to write four to five ideal identities. Like basically if aliens came down with super technology and they said anything you want, what would be four to five ideal identities that you would want in terms of body image and appearance? So you can either put it in the chat or you could just say something. I'll call on people. I'm not shy. You <laughs> Who wants to jump in and say something? Healthy, beautiful, thank you. 
Someone else say something. Normally weighted. Normally weighted. Okay. Someone else. Five foot six. Five foot six. Okay. Sexy. I like it. Not fat. Great. Someone else. Come on, you guys. Small hips. Small hips. Okay. I'm going to call on people. Quarantina. What's a body image thing that you would like to be? Oh, strong is another one. What's one that you would like to be like an, an ideal identity, like in body image or appearance? I can't hear you, so. No cellulite. No cellulite? No, no, fit. Fit. F-I-T. Fit. Okay, fit. Oh, good, we got people. No cellulite. Fashionable. This is great. Perfect skin. Okay. Svelte. Curvaceous, that's another one. You want to look healthy. Um, what are the other ones that, you know what I mean? Oh, young. We always have to look young. You know what I mean? Like, these are the ideal identities. Though that even when we're old, ideally we're supposed to look like younger than we are. You know, these are all ideal identities. Flawless. I like it. No wrinkles. Lean and strong. Muscular. Energetic. No belly fat. Tone. Body. This is great, you guys. Okay. So does everyone have like their, their four or five that they've got? Okay, great. We're not going to do anything with these. <laughs> so, <laughs> these are not the ones, you know. Okay. So now, what are four or five identities around appearance and body that we do not want to be perceived? We do not want people to perceive us this way. Overweight, that's a good one. These are unwanted identities. I do not want to be perceived as blank. So let's let's go in the chat. Fat, out of control, fat, unhealthy, like I don't care. Slovenly. Someone said something good. Lazy. Lazy. Okay, slovenly, sloth, that's a popular one. Sloppy, old, yes. Obese. What'd you say, Steph? Saggy. Oh, saggy, ugly, frail. Ooh, you guys are doing good. Dumpy, frumpy, messy, frumpy. We got frumpy and sloth and slovenly. Gray hair and wrinkles, definitely. What are some other appearance? Um, for me, uh, weak. I don't want to be like unfit. Gray hair and wrinkles. Um, I don't want the chicken wings that I have. Um, I don't want to be appear as saggy, flabby. That's great. We got some good ones. Zitty, nerdy. That's a great one. Yeah, I don't want to be perceived as not having my look together. You know what I mean? I don't want to be perceived as, um, oh, misshapen. You know what I mean? Like, ugh. Like, even, like, I fail even in my shape of carrying weight. Like, I can't even carry weight right. You know what I mean? Like, there are women who carry weight better than I do. Like, how fucked up is that? Double chin, old, like, like I can't control myself with food. Yeah, weak. I can't get cool clothes. Definitely. So, 
Does everyone have like four or five on their list? Okay, so here we're not gonna maybe, but let's, let's do one together. So let's do fat, okay? Because almost all of us, you know, in some form where it was flabby or swaddling or whatever, we don't want to be perceived as fat. So now, I look at my list of unwanted identities, and for each response, I answer the following questions. Fat. So, we're going to do this together. What does, the, what does this perception mean? What does it mean if someone perceives me as fat? Now, let me, let's pause for just a second here. So, I have red hair, right? If someone perceives me as having red hair, so either they don't care or they may, what are they going to think? They're going to think maybe some stereotype stuff, right? But I don't, I don't really care. You know, I'm not really invested. Do you get what I'm saying? So I don't care if, first of all, if they perceive me as having red hair, I'm fine with it. If they want to get a little stereotypical, like, oh, you're feisty and fiery and everything, I'd be like, yeah. But that's okay, I don't really think. So that's when we get into these perceptions. What do these mean? But what does it mean if someone perceives you as fat? And that's what we wanna start. Okay, so we got some good ones. Like I can't control myself with food, weak, like I'm defective, like I can't get cool clothes, like I'm lazy, out of control, that I am a loser that you smell. Wow, that's someone. Okay, so if someone perceives you as fat, that you're unlovable, okay? That you're not in control, that you're weak, that you're a lesser person, that you're worthless, that you're lazy. Lazy, another lazy. <laughs> that I will never have a mate. Oh, that you're useless. Oh, wow, yeah. That you're unworthy. That's a good one. that you're unlovable, that I must be desperate and will settle. Also, I know with the fact that you have no self-control, you know, that you're less than, than anyone thin. That's a good one. That you're stupid. That I'm ugly and don't make the fit of what handsome is, right? You don't fit that definition of handsome. You say beautiful or you say handsome and that and then in our culture, it's like, well, no one in those categories is fat. So if you're fat, that by definition means you're not beautiful, you're not handsome. That you're unwanted. That you don't deserve to eat desserts. That you have no self-esteem. So I shouldn't order certain foods at restaurants. Oh, that's good. That you're not reliable. Wow. I mean, it's amazing how like your appearance, I mean, so... I know this is belaboring the point a little bit, but can you see like the difference between someone, you know, having a perception of my red hair versus the perception of being fat? Like what a charge this is. No wonder we're terrified of this, right? So, so again, let's dilate a little bit more. So now what we know what these means, so now we're getting to it. Why are these so unwanted? Why do we not want anyone to perceive us this way with all of these things? Because we want to be lovable? 
Right. Because if you perceive me this way, and these are, then all of a sudden, you're rejectable. It gives, it's, it gives people, you know, the like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to interact with you. I don't have to connect with you. We, yeah, I don't have to accept you. I don't have to, I get to just disregard you. I get to reject you. Like your appearance gives me a reason to completely dehumanize you and reject you. So of course I don't want anyone to perceive me this way. That you become invisible. That you're not accepted. It's not accepted in society. We want to be accepted. Yeah, look at it so much because that is not how I see myself on the inside. Right. Oh, right. So then how I perceive myself versus how you're perceiving me, like it, it's not matching. And yet I'm having, this is what it's like, this is basically we all know about fat prejudice. So this is a good example of what it feels like when, you know, people judge you based on your appearance and they absolutely dehumanize you. And, and don't accept you and you have no real voice in the world, you, you're not important, that you're not as good as. And, and in that sense, that's absolutely right. You become invisible, you know, because you're not worth notice. You're not worth connecting to. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, where did these messages that fuel this identity come from? Now, this is a little bit of an easy one, but let's, let's do it. You know, where did we get this message? Childhood, society, media, everywhere, magazines, TV, family. Now, when you're doing this on your own, it would be really good to get a little bit more specific. So, for example, for me, my mother was an aerobics instructor and she was Jane Fonda before there was Jane Fonda. You know what I mean? Like I have a picture of my mom leading an aerobics class and everyone is wearing cut off shorts because they didn't have exercise wear. This is like 1980. Okay. So I can get a little bit like, yes, there was the media and everything, but my mom was also in her exercise bulimia. So, and it's not about blaming my mom. It's about understanding that in that family maternal line, appearance was very important you know what i mean and so oh that message came this way and then it was reinforced by these magazines you know oh and then you know when i was walking down the street these you know young boys barked at me this is my story you know like all of these that reinforce all of these living in south florida and then socal yeah that'll do it um okay so somewhere up my dad commented on my butt another person broke my dad my dad wow teachers school family right so that's where we get all of these messages now my experience is um that in going through every single one of these categories and I, and, and it's kind of like the fourth step, like we talk about it and we talk about, um, you know, talking about the, you know, the fears and the resentments and the harms done and the sexual conduct. And when you're sitting there and you're talking about it, you can really sort of 
you know, get a certain level of awareness, which is very different than when you go off and you actually sit down and you put in a lot of writing in your four step and you do all the columns and you really, and so my, and so here's what I'm saying. It, my four step experience was profound and it wasn't the one item. It was that every single item, I started to see these patterns and these patterns started to pit, to point to these bigger wounds. And that was where I was like, wow, I got a lot out of, you know, doing the fourth step. It was the same thing for me with doing the shame inventory, was writing out all these ideal identities and then all these unwanted identities. And then in the unwanted identities, looking at like, why didn't I want them? What did it mean? Where did these come from? And I just kept doing that for every single, and every single category started pointing to something for me. And I don't wanna share this here because I, I really kind of want everyone to have their own experience. It's kind of like, I feel like if I tell you what it, what it meant for me, then it gives you, you're going in with, with an idea of, of something. I'd rather have you walk into the shame inventory on your own, a little bit fresh, and a little bit not sure what you're going to find when you do each one of these, okay? So does, before we, because we want to do some open, okay, so let me, so that's, that's the workshop piece. That's the part we're doing the inventory. So again, I read the two books. Um, also, the, there's a pamphlet in my, um, which is also not conference approved. It's in there. It's called shame-faced um, in that G drive that I sent um, that uh, I, uh, that was also a booklet that was very helpful. It kind of, it was only a little bit. Um, so those are the three things. I did the shame inventory. I started taking other women through the shame um, inventory and shame study. And, uh, and again, just like the four step, it led to a lot of healing. You know, and I think it's it's not in place of, it's more like, so now with my sponsees, when I take them through the fourth step, and I wouldn't be surprised if this started just to become, I take them and we do harms, um, fears, sexual conduct, resentments, and then we do shame. Like I, I kind of do it that way uh, because my sponsees, we all tend to be heavy hitters, meaning that we have um, some trauma in our story and this sort of deals and a lot of our shame is directly tied to our experiences around trauma and so it's just a way of kind of focusing um, uh, a little bit more on on a particular topic and I really um, no, this group is not just for women no it's for anyone who wants to come so um, it just happens to be a lot of women because uh, it's OA, you know, <laughs> it's the story. Um, but anyway, so uh, that's kind of my uh, shame spiel talk. And what I'd really like to do is open it up for uh, sharing or if you guys have any questions. Why don't we, why don't we do questions um, and then... If there are no questions, then we'll just open it up for sharing. And I will tell you, I will call on people. So, um, so do we have any questions? Just 
anything. when I was telling my story I had lost the weight I had like all the promises were coming true and I had done so much healing but there was still this one core piece um, that was I was getting in the way of my own recovery and I know that for some people they talk about uh, just keep going through the steps and I'm like well I, I had gone through the steps so many times. I'd been in therapy for so long. And so my story is, is that I needed to deal with the shame directly. I needed really to dilate on that piece and how I was not allowing myself to um, have a life beyond my wildest dreams because my belief that I was less than meant that I did not deserve recovery. And that's really the piece that I'm trying to sort of speak to when I do these things is how I got in the way of my own recovery. Um, Marie, uh, Marie S.K.Y. Yes, hi. Um, what comes up for me is because I'm almost to my goals is that um, when I am at the size where I can be picked up, I'm not safe anymore. And um, and there's just there's a lot of fear around that, and uh, and then there's but everything else is shame. It's like I, I it's one or the other, you know. It's just my comment. No, that's great. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you for speaking up. Or Marie, sorry, um, Eileen. Next, yes. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. So you, there, there's your phone number. Um, cause I'm going to call you cause you have my story. Um, cause I came into a program, um, 104 pounds, five foot 10. Um, I'm still slender. Um, I had to gain weight in recovery. Um, and it's so hard for me a lot of times because I don't think the shame piece has been addressed. You know, it's, it's, I still, those things about, you know, when I wrote, what it means when I'm fat, lazy, unloved, unworthy, never be loved, all those things are still in my head. Right. I'm not fat. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been fat, but um, 
it's there's so much in there that like you said we work the steps and we go through you know program yet there's that really deep peace that has never been addressed right and, you know in all the years and I've been here for 30 years and I'm the therapy and I've done a lot of stuff but I think dealing with the shame is so big yeah so big and so I really appreciate you know what you're talking about and I'm gonna call you thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so I want to take a minute to say um that the thing that I absolutely believe is that um the antidote to shame so I, I'm so glad. Thank you, Eileen, because I, I was going to forget to say this. The antidote to shame is empathy. And that's why 12-step is so powerful. Anne Lamott calls it the church of me too. So right now, I am on a group with people from Canada and Montana and Florida or wherever. I don't even know anymore because with Zoom, I don't even know. But the point is, is I am telling you stuff around, you know, being a trauma survivor. I'm telling you about, you know, that I'm a bulimic and I've got all these things. And I'm telling you about like destroying my own happiness, you know, and I have people. And the reason why I can do this is because I've talked about this enough that I've had the experience of other people, men and women saying me too. And that's why Anne Lamont calls it the church of me too. And so as soon as, so as soon as you say me too to me, then I no longer feel like maybe I'm worse than you. I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? Now, maybe in the beginning when I only have a few people, I'm like, oh, okay, so we're all worse than everyone else. But then let me tell you, I've been doing this for a while, okay? And I just keep getting me too, me too, me too. And also, I have sponsored professional models. And I can tell you that getting the body that you think you want is not the answer. You know what I mean? Because again, that, that core belief that you are less than. And it might be a different story. For them, it might be that it's like they're nothing without their looks. Or they could have total body image dysmorphia, which I've had to deal with, where I'm looking at a woman that's like paid, you know, to show her face, and she doesn't think that she's really pretty. I mean, it's just amazing, you know, what we can do to ourselves. So, uh, you know, anyone else have anything that, um, so, okay, so before I get on that, to finish the empathy piece, so you don't just do this inventory and, be like, oh, yeah. You do your inventory and you share it with your sponsor. You know what I mean? And that's why when I did the shame inventory, um, I did it for myself with my sponsor and my therapist. And then, because I've been in the rooms a long time, I knew that it's like, I bet you this could translate. And then I started doing shame studies, you know? And then they to go through it together, you know, and to, to do these chapters and read these things together and to have all of these men and women say, me too, me too, me too, all along the way, you start to feel like maybe you're not defective. Maybe you're not less than. 
You know what I mean? And slowly and slowly and slowly it corrodes the shame. So I call it like the shame hag. So I have this little thing, you know, you know, where it's like, I think of like the queen of judgment and the queen of compassion. And judgment by itself is just judgment. Tall, short, blue, red, you know what I mean? It's just an assessment, you know? And then the shame hag, so for example, judgment could be like, oh, you look 50, you know what I mean? I am 50, you know what I mean? But the shame hag would be like, yeah, and that means you look old and you look ugly. You know what I mean? It just jumps in there and starts to add. And so I think of the shame hag as like this orc witch. You know, I have pictures. I'll show you tomorrow. So it's like, so when, and then the queen of compassion is what I had to build up in recovery. So it's like, you know, the judgment would be like, you look 50. And my queen of compassion is like, yeah, girl, you're rocking it at 50. Look at you. You look great. And thank God you finally got here. You've been waiting your whole life to be a wise crone. And isn't this awesome? And da, da, da. Do you see what I'm saying? The, and then, like, so the judgment and the shame hag could be like, you did a really fucked up job today. And the queen of compassion is like, that's a really unkind thing to say. The truth of the matter is, is that you did an amazing job today. You are sober and abstinent and you're kind and you're loving and you did your best today and your best is damn good. Why don't you go to bed and not think about shit anymore? Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like, so I practiced this like, and how it started was when I came into the rooms, all I heard was the queen of judgment with the shame hag. And for people who like Lord of the Rings, the shame hag is like worm tongue. You know what I mean? It's just like, venom you know what I mean like yeah let's take that judgment that neutral assessment and then let's like you know reminder of how like low she is and so when those thoughts would come in I constantly sort of said thank you for sharing because I don't want to argue you know what I mean I don't want to argue with judgment I don't want to it's like and with the thank you for sharing it's not that I said thank you for saying what you said it's kind of like in a meeting where there's someone where you're just like, because I was at a meeting one time and we would say, thank you for sharing. No matter who spoke, you know what I mean? It was like, so it was kind of like, okay, thank you for sharing. Now, would someone else like to, you know, so again, like the queen of judgment, she likes to just pass judgment and shame hag likes to add that worm tongue venom to it. And it's like, okay, thank you for sharing. Does the queen of compassion have anything she would like to say? And when I first started, I have to tell you that I had to wait for that voice. And in the beginning, I couldn't find that voice. And I would have to call people and say, this is what my brain is telling me. And then they became the voice of the queen of compassion. And then over time, my queen of compassion gets real, got really, really strong. And now like, my shame hag doesn't get any airtime. If she even starts to open her mouth, my queen of compassion is like, that's not kind. That's it. It's just like, that's not kind. You know, we're, we're doing kind today. So if you don't have anything kind to say, we're not, we're not really listening, you know? And so the way that I can intervene on my own behalf, 
that muscle has gotten really strong. And the reason I want to dilate on this for a moment is because my sponsor and my therapist and my best friends and my whatever, they can't come into my head with me. At some point, I have to start to save my own life. I have to learn to intervene on my own behalf. I have to start saying, it's not okay to talk to me that way to myself. Do you know what I mean? I have to start doing that and I have to start to practice redirecting to, you know, an empathetic, compassionate voice. So I want to, um, I see you Janice and then Val. So, uh, or could the, and could you mute her microphone? Um, so I, I don't think so. I don't think that you, you know, have to deal with that. I honestly, I'm going to get a little nerdy and, and again, this is just my opinion. I have had to do a lot of healing on this. I think a lot of our thoughts are habit and they're just wired in there and wired in there. And so they just start to come out of habit. And this is what I mean around you have to learn to intervene on your own behalf. So some of those thoughts or things that you say, they're just habit and you kind of have to stop. This is what I mean where it's around, you know, it, I think it does take like the shame piece because recovery is going to the wonderful thing about 12-step and 12-step rooms is it sort of creates this container for you like come in here here's a space where you can start to reveal the truth of who you are right and it comes and it's like this concentric circles and then there really does come a point where you know we can't get in here you know what I mean? You're in there. Now, I absolutely believe like that your higher power gets in here. But the point of my story is I could actually tell my higher power to go fuck off. Like I could be like, no, you know what I mean? And so that's why I had to look at how I am getting in the way of my relationship to my higher power. Now, my higher power is the process of recovery. I've said this many times. Oh, please, but it's like I'm a pagan Buddhist, New Thought, Christian Jew, part-time Hindu Muslim. I mean, I believe in 
I, be, I believe in God, but my God is love. It is benevolent, it is divine, and it is mysterious. And that is as far as I'm able to define it. Now, I've, I've experienced God in different religious settings, and then there's the story that I don't always agree with. But the feeling I can feel, I can feel in a mosque, I can feel in a church, I can feel in a yoga class, I can feel, and I feel it in a 12-step meeting. So the point is, is that by putting myself in that container of compassion and love and acceptance, that seeps into me. And then when I engage in the process of recovery, when I go to meetings, when I make calls, when I, first of all, first and foremost, I need to be abstinent. Because if I'm in the food, I'm breaking off my connection to my higher power, which is I experience God through people. So if I am disassociated and disconnected, which is what the food does for me, it helps me live from the neck up. You know what I mean? So that I'm not emotionally connected. Well, if I'm not emotionally connected, then all of your kindness towards me, I'm not going to feel because I'm not going to take it in. So I really need to practice being abstinent, which means I'm going to be a little bit more present in my body. And when I'm a little bit more present in my body, I'm going to take in more of your compassion and acceptance. And when I take it in, I might at first argue with it, like, no, no, no. But if I just keep going to meetings, you know, eventually this power greater than me is going to start to wear on me in a positive way. It's going to influence me. It's going to start to change my fears. It's going to start to change, like, my feelings about myself. And then again, there is this for me, as a trauma survivor of sexual abuse, like there was this core piece around, I still somehow did not deserve to have this. And that's where I needed to really focus very specifically on the topic of shame and start to do reading on it. And specifically, because I know this program works, to share about it within a 12-step concept. And for me, this is why. Because in my experience in therapy, I've been in therapy pretty much my whole life. I absolutely believe in it. However, you know, my therapist will listen to me talk about the same thing for 20 fucking years, you know what I mean, because I'm paying her. Whereas if I engage in the process of recovery, at some point people are going to say stuff to me that my therapist is not allowed to say. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's, and also because we're peers, it, it makes it, it puts it at a whole different level. Do you get, and so I talked about that before, like I'm paying my therapist, but when I'm sitting with another woman and we're just peers or it's like my sponsor or whatever, that level of condition for fun and for free to be of service, to be generous, that comes, comes into me in a very real, meaningful way. And that also, so when I'm talking specifically about shame within 12-step recovery, it's such a powerful combination. And I cannot stress enough how much it has shifted and changed my whole internal wiring around shame. So um, Val, you've been extremely patient um, with your hand, so take it away. Well, all I wanted to say is, uh, to all of you, be patient. 
The first 30 years are the hardest. You go through shame, you go through guilt, you do the steps, you go to the therapist, you learn and learn about yourself. By the time you get to 40, you can look at yourself in the, even long before now. I've been able to look in the mirror and wink at my wrinkles, my fat, my pterodactyl arms, whatever, and just go, I love you, kid, and I know God loves me. And that's going to happen for you. That's the promise of this program. Do not give up. That's why I said at the 10th step, continued. It's the most important thing. Don't let anything stop you from coming here. Don't let your ego get in and tell you you're not worth it. You are. You're so precious to God. You're supposed to be here. And don't forget it for one minute. And I'm, you know, I'm... I don't speak the way Matt and Nicole does it all, but we're both passionate members of this program. And just keep on keeping on and do not give up. Thank Great. You. Thank you. Um, so we've got uh, about 15 minutes. So do you want to do some shares or does anyone have any other questions? Oh. Carla M, is there anything you want to share about? Nope. Susan K, nope. Oh, look at you all. Oh. You know, anyone? Bev, do you want to share or say anything? Bev S? Sure. Um, I, I listened to your shame workshop before. Thank you, Nicole. Like, I just really. Oh, you're diving deep into the word fat. Like, I, it is, like, worse than any swear word nasty out there for me. And even if I still, like, I've been in the program just over 12 years, and I feel like I'm still a newcomer. But if I hear someone at a meeting share and use the word fat, I just, like, don't say that word. Like, I just, I am not comfortable with that word whatsoever. Like, it just... It's cringeworthy for me. And I know it's from my childhood. I know it's from my dad. I've been able to go down that. But tonight, it really just, like, hit to the core. And I'm blessed that I'm, like, at a different learning spot with you this time with this. Because I'm like, yeah, I need to just, like, get to the micro of it, right? Like, just dive down. So thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's share and hearing more. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyone else? Stephanie, I was just going to call on you. You're very lucky you raised your <laughs> <Yeah>. hand. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I've been engaged uh, in this shame work for a while now, and I can definitely speak to, um, from my own personal experience, that it that it's had a huge impact, and I. I describe it as like, you know, like a window that I've just been able to like scrape some of the dirt off and I can see through the window now and like see the, the beautiful, you know, <laughs> landscape outside or whatever that I, I, you know, it's like, maybe I'm not a worthless piece of shit. Maybe I really am lovable. Maybe, you know, so it's not, I haven't totally cleaned off the window yet, but it's, it's a huge blessing and recovery that I can 
you know, that I can see through the window and, um, and have that recovery. So thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Stephanie and Katie and a bunch of those were one of the groups that um, I passed on the shame inventory to. So, so thank you for attesting to that. Uh, how about Suzanne D? Do you would you like to share? Um, hi, I'm Suzanne. I'm from Salt Spring Island on the west coast of Canada. I think I must have gotten the wrong time and I have missed most of the workshop. I just come in just to hear some of the shares, which is really that's great, but I'm sorry I missed everything else. Hello. Welcome. How about Barbara? Do you want to say anything? Barbara, iPad 2. Um, I had an emergency phone call. Um, some really sad news. So, But I'm also really sad that I missed a key part of your presentation. So um, I thank you for what you did share. I've dealt with shame since I was a little girl. And I'm still uncovering more stuff about it. And I'm grateful, I guess, that I am. But it's, it's such a thing, it just can be so crippling. Like I remember um, hearing that shame is, is the hemorrhage of your soul. And um, in my case, that's certainly been true. So um, hopefully I can catch tomorrow and or, or catch your shame presentation another time. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'm recording this. I just don't know if it's going to work. So, but I will, if it works... I'll send it to uh, Val and um, uh, Ann or someone. Uh, I'll send it to the Northern Lights, whatever. Also, it'll be it'll end up on my G Drive. So um, for people who came in late, and then um, uh, my so I have a G Drive, a Google Drive, where I've I host I post like all of my. Documents that I use in recovery. I uh, post uh, workshops that I've been in, and uh, and then I just make it public, and let people just access it. And um, an easy way to remember is uh, tinyurl.com. So one word, tiny, t-i-n-y-u-r-l.com forward slash n as in Nicole. L as in Lynn, S as in Sharky, 12 step. And so um, I'll put it here too in the. I put it in the chat. Um, and that's just a short link to the G Drive link that I post, posted earlier. And you can help yourself to that. Also, I have some of my favorite speakers in there um yeah it's a site that i started for sponsees uh because i was losing track of documents and then it's just built and built and built also i have my uh all my step work assignments in there uh including all of the documents that i have them read and um and then also i have a link to my podcast my podcast isn't like a podcast podcast it happened because i have Canadian sponsees and I got tired of saying the same thing over and over again around each homework assignment So I started recording myself 
and and then my G drive was getting too full, and so then I googled like where can I host free audio files, and I ended up with this podcast. So um, so anyway, uh, so there's that. Anyone else want to share? Probably got about like five more minutes before we close. Can you talk to what um, the rest of the retreats can be on? Because I, I was looking at the um, format, and it, I guess tomorrow says relapse and recovery. How it's going to relate to this topic of shame? I don't know that I'm going to repeat myself. I think, um, I mean, I'm probably going to, I can't talk about recovering from my relapse without talking about shame. But this was the workshop that I was going to really go into the shame piece as well as the workshop piece. I think tomorrow I'm just really going to speak about, hey, guess what? Relapse was a part of my story, and here's what I did. And and each relapse taught me something very important. So I'm going to kind of just really try to, without ma- mainly addressing shame, I know that, you know, depending on where you were in OA, like, if you relapsed, you would actually get shamed by people in the rooms. And so, we, you know, I don't believe in shooting our wounded. And so I just really kind of want to speak to that. Also, I'm not a morning person, so this is going to be really interesting for me. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, I'm like, wow. I, you know, I totally miss that, like, mountain time thing. Otherwise, I don't know that I would have agreed to that, <laughs> you know, so, but um, it's okay. I'll do it. I'll be there. Um, and then I only speak twice tomorrow. I speak in the morning and then uh, in the afternoon, tools of recovery. I'm really just going to talk about all the tools that I use and why I think each tool is important. You know, as you can kind of tell or the difference of the, you know, Val and I are as a speaker, um, I always sort of describe myself as like a swim coach. Like I'm very, um, I'm very loving and I'm very watery and I love you and I'm going to give you all of this nurturing, but I am like, here's what you got to do. Here's what I expect from you. Here's the program. Here are the meetings. I'm like... So I expect your ass to be, to show up on time in a swimsuit and you get in the pool. I'll be on the side. I'll be like, coach, I'll be like, you can do it, girl. You can do it, but you got to work um, because that's, I came in and in the beginning, I was very like, I took what I want, leave the rest. But then I get, got to a point where I was going to, I was going to die. I mean, this thing was going to kill me and I hit a, a level of desperation that And it took a long time for me to get to that place where, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do exactly what my sponsor tells me to do. And I'm not going to argue and I'm not going to question. I'm just going to do the whole thing. So, yeah, I'm going to, that's, that's my plan. I don't know what the whole thing is. I just know what my little piece is. So I can't really speak to that. So I think there's probably a wrap up process. I don't know what it is, but I want to make sure I don't take people I know this thing ends at 8 30 but I don't know can I does anyone know like how this ends well, how this ends uh, tonight is I was just going to thank you for um for speaking tonight Nicole and Val um what you guys shared was immense and for me very helpful and uh, a little bit eye-awakening um and just to wish everybody a good night and I hope to see everybody tomorrow morning Okay, so since that's the easy ending, we actually have five minutes. So, you know, does anyone have any questions 
or anything that they would like to sort of say or any intentions they want to set. Alice. Hi, I'm Alice, compulsive eater and Mexican bulimic. Hi, Alice. Hi. Um, so this, sh I just want to say that this shame thing is a huge topic and we're all kind of being, you know, especially since it's Zoom, there isn't going to be this after speaker time for us to comfort each other. And then it's really important that you make some space for you to kind of process what's going on before you go to bed um, and to commit your, to your abstinence that you'll call someone and, and talk after if you need to or journal or, you know, because we... We want to use these opportunities to grow our program, not to take steps back. So, thanks. Thanks, Alice. Alice is my friend. I love her. She's awesome. So thank you for um, bringing that up. So yes, so this was a really, uh, see how God works? Isn't this perfect? So um, in closing, yes. So here's something that can happen. This is the whole, when I talked about Linus with the blankie, you know what I mean? So someone can come up to Linus with his blankie and say, hey, let's talk about that blankie. And then, you know, the, the terror of that, right? The terror of that. And that's what we eat over, you know, is our blank, you know, our food is our blankie. And so I, I really would encourage you that if anything got activated or anything, whatever, that just just try to reach out. Just try to text. Just try it. You know what I mean? And we're powerless over food and our life is not what we want it to be despite our best efforts. And my sponsor taught me that I have to learn to be, I have to learn to be willing to be uncomfortable. And that I have to learn that I can, I can, I can handle uncomfortable. You know, and so if afterwards, you know, if anyone starts feeling uncomfortable, you know, please work your program. Please reach out on the phone. Please text someone and please know you're not alone, you know, and that, you know, um, that the recovery, I'm going to end with this. Recovery requires, it's, it's not actually always overtly talked about, but it's in the big book which is that recovery requires two powers. Recovery requires a power, a high, your own personal higher power, but it requires also the power of the fellowship. And if you have one without the other, you are not going to recover. You need both. You need a power that you can believe in personally. I told you that my higher power is the, the power is, um, the process of recovery and that together we can do what we can never do alone and you need the power of the fellowship the church of me too so i just really encourage you to do to connect with both of those tonight and this weekend because sometimes when we go to these retreats we get busted and then we're like oh my god i might actually have to put the food down or i might actually have to do this thing and and it just scares us to death and just know that it's better to call someone and say, I'm scared to death, than to be alone with the fear, because if you're alone with the fear, you are going, you're powerless over food. I like to talk about the disease as it's a perpetrator, 
And the very first thing a perpetrator needs to do is to get you alone. So the disease always wants to get you in isolation because then the disease has more power than you. So how you work recovery is the first thing you do is you get out of isolation. So anyway, thank you so much. You guys have been really wonderful. Um, for anyone living in Canada, I want you to know I may be seeking asylum soon. So I've got your names. <laughs> you know, you know, um, you know. I'm just like, hi, remember me. Um, so anyway, you know, blessings, and I will see you tomorrow. Julie, do you want to say anything before I sign off? Uh, no, I believe everybody, I wish you guys all a good thank night. You. Uh, thank you for coming. Now thank you. Time tomorrow, just remind you for everybody. <laughs> okay, for, for my people, that's 8 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So, all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys.